Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that my next six-month leadership programme will start in January 2024. If you would like to be part of this transformational experience, you can find all the information you need on the Dive Deep Climb High website. As the previous delegate said, this course is a must for anyone invested in being the best leader they can be. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into communication and more specifically, how to have business conversations with credibility and confidence. My guest is a bit of a superstar, a former prize-winning international opera singer, an MD of the award-winning company Viva Live Music. She is a fully qualified teacher, global speaker, and fellow of the Speaking Association, that is the Professional Speaking Association, as well as being co-host of the Superstar Communicator podcast. To be honest, there's not much she doesn't know about communication. So I can't wait to get stuck in. Please welcome the totally lovely human that is Susan Heaton Wright. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. You missed one thing, in fact, that I am the creator of the Superstar Communicator methodology, um, my company that empowers people to have better business conversations. Yes, I did that deliberately because I was going to ask about that later, but it's fine. You've got it in there. and Now people know why I call you a bit of a superstar. <laughs> so you've done so much in your career and your life. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up in this space. Oh, gosh. You know what? You're absolutely right. I've not had a conventional career progression. Uh, originally, I really wanted to see the world. And so I did a geography degree. And, you know, obviously seeing the world. I'd already done a little bit of work as an undergraduate in Finland and in Italy, and then went to um, Ladakh in India, where I was teaching in a mission school, and then went to school in Kenya. Unfortunately, and I won't go into this now, I had um, a very, very serious car accident with life-changing injuries. And that really put a kibosh on what I was going to do. But I had always been involved in music, just singing in the choir and being involved. My family were very much the type of people that would say, don't put yourself forward, um, don't show off. But I went for an interview or an audition to be in one of those big London choirs. They don't have them as much now. And I was on crutches 
and I sang and the conductor who is now an internationally known conductor stopped me and said Susan you've got a remarkable voice you need to get it trained and so eventually I started having singing lessons having never realized that this was something and eventually I went to music college I got a scholarship to study there as a slightly older student so going in my 20s rather than in my teens and I suddenly realized that it's not just the voice you actually have to own the space because without being disrespectful to any colleague or ex-colleague if you don't own your space another person's going to do that they're going to take that space from you which is very like business conversations so I went around singing I feel very blessed that I had the opportunities that I had working with some incredible conductors directors and colleagues but after I had my son I realized that it was difficult combining everything and there's nothing wrong with that and I think um, at the weekend there was the conversation because Claudia Winkleman has stepped down from her radio presenting because she wants to spend more time with her children she's doing lots of things and probably realizes that you can't do it all And I respect her for that. And that was certainly the situation I was in, despite people saying, oh, you can do it. But after I gave up singing, I taught singing in the home. So that sorted out looking after childcare. It would mainly be in the evenings. My son was in the bedroom next to the studio and he would say, mummy, he's getting it wrong. (laughs) This is how you do it, age three, Uh, which was quite funny. But I kept Um, meeting people who were not from the opera world and they kept asking me how do you project your voice how do you have such presence how can you make an impact and I realized that I did have a business there so when Nick was seven I started teaching working with teachers and lecturers and schools on that side and then it developed And eventually I started working in corporate and with business associations. To be honest, there's more money than in education. All of the budgets were cut in 2010 and you make a move. So as things have progressed from a little idea, I created the Superstar Communicator methodology. I identified the five key areas to make sure that you absolutely make an impact. In all business conversations, everything from pitching for business, sharing an idea, presenting, being in meetings, having difficult conversations, it works for all of them. And it's taken me literally all over the world, physically and virtually. So I've now reached the stage when I have delivered work to attendees from over 130 countries in the world. What a privilege. And this afternoon, I'm involved in a leadership launch. So I'm almost the MC for it, for a cohort of really talented people in Brazil. Amazing. Fantastic. And you're going to do that all from your home here in England. I love it. Love it. Love it. (laughs) So you talked about your communicator model and the five steps What are those five steps? 
The first one is audience. So understanding why you're speaking, the purpose of the conversation, who your audience are, what's in it for them, why should they bother to listen to you? So when you understand the purpose and the whole process of the audience and you, it can make it much clearer as to what you're going to include in that content, how you're going to include it. Then the second one is content. So really thinking about the language you use, how you start the conversation, how you end it, how you could perhaps structure it with stories or case studies. Um, I also work with people on keeping everything brief and very much focused on what you're saying rather than going off in a tangent because you lose your audience otherwise. Then the third part is preparation, and that includes managing your nerves. Certainly, that's something I've had personally had to work very hard on when I went to opera school. And also, perhaps, if you're having a meeting, how you prepare for that so you make the maximum impact rather than faffing around thinking about what you're going to say or how you're going to respond. Then fourth one is performance. So that is everything such as your body language, your facial expressions, your gestures, making sure they match what you say so that you are making the maximum impact. So if I were to say to you now, I'm going to be doing a leadership program, I'm the launch leader, it's unlikely you would believe me. Because vocally, I don't come across as someone that's vaguely confident enough to do a leadership launch. And my body language is very closed. And if we don't match them up, our audience is going to be confused. They're they're going to be distracted from what you're saying. You want them to listen to what you say. So if you've got everything matching, then it's going to make the maximum impact. And then the last one is the voice. Obviously, there are people who think I'm a vocal coach. I am not. Just because I'm an op- I was an opera singer doesn't mean to say it's exclusively the voice I know about. But there are a lot of things that we can do with the voice to make it interesting, to engage our audience, but also to have that self-awareness that we could have what I call emotional leakages from our voice. So we could be saying something very profound, but we're like this because we're actually really nervous. And that could again could distract our audience and put a question mark next to our credibility. Fantastic. So that's very quickly what those five areas are. In a nutshell. So a couple of questions that come from that. And I'll start with those before. There's another question that I'm desperate to ask you. So Of those five stages, when you're working typically with business leaders, which is the one that you find that they spend the least amount of time on or wasn't even in their radar when they were thinking about how they they communicate? I would say two, to be awkward with you. First of all, the purpose. So often, gosh, I'm being... I'm being disrespectful to people say often they do this, but there can be a tendency for people to think I've got to say this without considering the purpose, the relevance 
who they're speaking to, what outcome they're wanting from the conversation. I mean, that's a big one. And the other one is preparation. Now, so often I work with leaders and they skip this one. They think, oh, I can wing it or I already know what to do. Even spending 30 seconds putting on a post-it note, five things you know you must say in that meeting makes a real difference. And that's preparation. It really makes a difference if you have, you're familiar with the slides, if you're doing a presentation or a pitch. Again, you can fall down on that essential piece. But also, having been an opera singer, you're like a sports person, you're like an athlete. Preparing your mind and your body beforehand can make a massive difference. And again, it takes a bit of time. It can feel a bit awkward, but you can go into a bathroom to sort of do a little bit of warm up. It makes a massive difference. Absolutely. And I think that was, for me, the biggest learning. And and often what I see people do is that they will spend hours and hours on their slides and, and thinking about each word that goes into their slide. But they very rarely think about preparing themselves and recognizing that they are and it's not just what they say, but they themselves are an integral part of that communication and that conversation. Absolutely. So one of the things that you said early on, and I'm really interested in this, and you said it in reference to when you went to to train to be an opera singer, about filling that space. Talk to me a little bit about that. From my perspective, say, being within the context of music college, it's not exclusively about the voice. It's about how you present yourself, how you own that room. And absolutely, it's definitely exactly the same for speakers, for people who are sharing communication. I'll I'll tell you a secret. When I'm speaking at a conference, I will always do preparation beforehand. I'll I'll arrive early, feel the room. Gosh, it sounds very woo-woo, but feel the... um, feel the atmosphere of the room because every room has a different atmosphere have my tech check and everything but I will also make a note of the person before me and their energy level now sometimes they might be a quiet person they might have huge presence we know there are people like that um, or there might be somebody rushing around the room and you know doing all of the high five and and everything getting everybody um moving and that's great too they're different styles there's no one is no better than another and i will make a mental note of that and i will make a decision because i want to own the room for my own perspective and to change the mood so that this comes to me so i'm not an understudy or the person that goes after the last person. I'm me in my own right. Sounds very diva-like, but if there's been somebody that's been, I will make sure that I'm very calm and stand and do very slow movements and not rush around the room. If the person before has been quite quiet and quite still, I will do the opposite to change the mood, to change the air. I love that. And that is 
so powerful because I think often, you know, they say, don't they, that, um, and I suppose we're getting into the realms of public speaking or when you're doing a yes. presentation here, but, but you know, that, that whole thing that people would, <laughs> in the list of fears, public speaking is higher up than, than actually dying and death. Yeah, and going dentist. Which is quite amusing. But actually, I think a lot of it can be that that's when imposter syndrome kicks in is you look at somebody else and you think, oh, my God, they really engage me. I was really captivated. I need to be more like them. But actually, what you're saying is that you own what you want to do and you bring people into you whether that be that you have to be a bit more expressive or a little bit more reined in so that people are you're bringing them in slowly and almost without them knowing absolutely and don't get me wrong imposter syndrome is going on there and that is a way that I have found to manage that there is something very scary about a brilliant speaker or a brilliant opinion in a meeting just before yours. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. So in your training as an opera singer, and then what you do now, what is the biggest lesson that you could share with our listeners, because they are leaders in in higher education predominantly, what is the biggest lesson that you can take from the world of opera and give out as a nugget for a leader listening to this conversation? I know I really put you on the spot. And you're probably going, Mel, we did discuss this, but I know you could do it. No, I think it's a really good question. You know, it's almost following on from the idea of owning your space and owning the air and taking ownership of the air. In my training, I say to people, I'm helping you to find the best version of yourself. I don't want you to be like me, to imitate me. I don't want you to imitate somebody else. I want you to find your style and your personality when you're sharing an opinion, when you're having a difficult conversation with colleagues, when you're having to share bad news because sometimes it is bad news when you're presenting, when you're pitching an idea, that it's going to be you rather than a version of me or the person before. Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. So what is the biggest change? When people go through your programme, what is the biggest change that you see or they, they come back to you and say, what's their biggest learning? Do you know, it depends on the person, obviously, because there's so much there. The The methodology, it seems quite simple, but obviously it goes off into little bits. But it can be anything from I realised that I could make an impact being a quiet person. Or I realised that I wasn't listening enough. I was just thinking about what I was saying rather than it being a two-way conversation. Or there's somebody that is a very senior leader, their big moment was realising that they needed to spend more time with the preparation. And even 30 seconds, it made such a difference, that reflection moment, rather than just going straight in there. 
And one of the things we had a prequel, obviously, as I do with all my guests. And one of the things that, that came out from there that I really loved. And you said, and it came out that actually it's not really, it's not communication. It's a conversation. So what are the subtle differences between communication and conversation? Communication, if we think of a comms department, marketing, it's all about the messages that they're sending out. They might tell you, oh, we listen to our clients, but it might be a very manipulative um, survey that's sent out when people can't actually say what they want to. A conversation is two ways. So part of the time you're listening like you're doing now, part of the time you're speaking and the conversation will be reflection, listening, conversing, sharing information. It's not one way. And so often people think about what they're going to say. There are books on speak like a leader, programs on speak like a leader. And yet any leader should be listening, perhaps listening even more than speaking, because we want to know what's going on. We want to know what other people feel about this. As a leader, we are not experts at everything. So we need to listen to the experts that we have around us. We can't do that if we're talking all the time. I love that. And so often we think when we're going into a conversation, particularly a difficult conversation, we think about what it is we want to say, the message we want to get over. But we don't build in time to have that conversation around. It's almost like, right, I've done my bit now. Off I go. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is something that you see on social media a lot. You know, perhaps there are situations where you do just need to say what you say. But it's more effective if you have a proper conversation. So preparing for the conversation, which is also then preparing yourself for what response you might get back, which might not yeah. be what you expect. Yeah. And if you've only thought about what you're going to say, that might be more challenging. Absolutely. Especially when it's a difficult conversation. Yeah. So when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have? Do you know, I regularly dive deep. For example, the launch leaderships that I'm doing, this is something that started in July. And these are with cohorts all over the world. And although I'm leading them virtually, I might be aware that everything's not quite landing. So there was one in another country where English is definitely not this, even the second language. And it became really, really apparent that the cohort were looking a little bit bewildered when I was speaking. And I speak quite slowly, especially to non-English speaking people, you, you know, as their first language. And so I dug deep. I thought, well, I could speak slower. I could change the language I use. And I realized that I needed to stop things. So I brought the people in the room, the champions, and said, 
I believe we need to do the next things in your native language. You have breakout conversations and then you come back to me. And as a result of that, it was far better experience for the cohort. I left my ego, you know, in the bathroom. There was no point about that. This was all about the audience and the purpose and what they would get out of it. Now, I could just plowed on, but I dug deep to resolve what was a potential problem. I love that example as well, because it, it demonstrates, I think, everything we've been talking about this morning, which is about all of your, your five steps. And actually, if you are prepared and you do know your slides and you do know what you want to say, then you are you are having that, even though it feels one way at that time, you are having that conversation because you're reading the room and reading what is happening. And then to be able to say, and that is the proof of why you are a superstar communicator, oh. <laughs> is that you then go, actually, this isn't working for this audience. I need to change what I do rather than keep plowing on and everyone having a, a less than positive experience at the end of it. So, yes, brilliant example. Love it. Thank you. When have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? Do you know, quite often I do. And I think that that analogy is one of those situations where the imposter syndrome kicks in, isn't it? That you, you're thinking, you know, I'm a fish out of water. I shouldn't be here. And yeah, I often feel like that. Only last week, this organisation that I'm in, everybody was talking about um, that there are going to be short talks. And, you know, this took over this little voice saying, well, you shouldn't be here. You've got nothing to offer. And you've got to take a deep breath and think, I was invited to this table. I've got something to offer. I need to quickly work out what is unique about me and why I've been invited and why they think that I add value to the conversation. And you can do that in a couple of deep breaths to calm you down. And it's it's interesting how it then frees up the brain to think, ah, oh, that's the reason I've been called. Yeah, love it. I mean, two, two brilliant examples that are really honest and I think demonstrate to people that we all have that little voice in our head. Oh, no matter how do. good we are, what our specialist subject is, we all have it at times. And it's learning, like you say, how to manage it and how to get over it. Yeah, I feel for me, I know when the, when there are certain situations, when I'm responding to a particular situation in a particular way, I think, ah, oh, that's imposter syndrome. For me, it's often stopping doing something, not starting a project because I imposter syndrome sit. And when I realize that I'm delaying doing that, then I know that I've got to push that fear away and get on with it. Brilliant. Love it. Thank you. I'm guessing that there are going to be lots of people out there wanting to know more, wanting to learn how they can get in touch with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Oh, you know, I'd love to speak to people because I work with people one to one. I can work with teams and I can work remotely as well as face to face. 
I have done some work with universities and I've also been a speaker for universities. My website is superstarcommunicator.com and you are very, very welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. There's only one Susan Heaton Wright. I love that. Lucky you. <laughs> it's my ex-stage name. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I will make sure that all of those links go into the show notes. It just leaves me to say a massive, massive thank you, especially in light of what you will be doing this afternoon. So I know I've, I've stepped on your preparation time. So I do appreciate that very much. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? Everyone's unique. You have got an opinion. You have got a voice. Make sure that you let other people know about your opinions, about your ideas and your values, because you will add to the conversation. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple Podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can do leadership in a world of can't. <laughs>